think we're live here. Well, Daddy's not here for us, so um, the kids are running the show. But uh, I believe this is episode 237, where we are going to be talking 99% about the game against Marseille on Thursday and a brief nod to whatever you can call uh, the game against Arsenal uh, a few moments ago. Uh, Robin, Craig, how are we doing? Yeah, good. I'm zen about the whole thing. Yeah, good this side. Very adult of you. Yeah. Very adult of me. <laughs> Unusually adult of me, but there you go. Um, it's obviously been a fairly busy week here. All eyes were on the game on Thursday. And Robin, you were there uh, yeah. in the North Stand in your season ticket seat witnessing what I think you probably described to us as one of the one of the best moments as a Brighton fan. Oh, yeah. 100%. We can uh, we can go into that in boring levels of detail. Um, uh, well, we will, but I think we're going to start, unfortunately, um, for a brief nod to this Arsenal performance that just happened, um, because we want to spend time actually talking about the good stuff. So we'll get this out of the way. Um, this was a bit of a, a hangover game, wasn't it? And we came in with very, very low expectations there was a number of sort of rotations that that Deserbi uh, made in terms of bringing in Ferguson. João Pedro dropped out. Uh, we moved things around at the back a little bit where Hinchelwood played against Marseille. He got a bit of a rest. Igor was dropped. Um, and we brought in Veltman and a few others. What was your thoughts on this with the with the kind of moves around from Thursday? Kind of a, a needs must, really, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Um, Hinchelwood, when he came off on Thursday, looked knackered. I think he only played, what, 65, 70 minutes probably. He just looked knackered, so I wasn't surprised by that. Eagle ran himself into the ground on Thursday, so again, I wasn't hugely surprised by that. Um, obviously, Jao Pedro, again, ran himself into the ground and had the kind of the emotional, you know, kind of um, baggage of what happened at the end. So I think they're all pretty logical logical changes. The only th- I thought he might have brought in Belieber for a bit of energy um, in the middle and generally just to try and, you know, be a bit of a nuisance but i had no qualms with the had no qualms with the selection really like my only inevitable qualm is james milner at left back against Saka. how dare you i know yeah how I dare know. you i'm fully on board with james milner now <sighs> how... like a, i've had a total conversion on him um <laughs> i'd yeah, I... I, I don't know it's I, it's a it's a weird one for me i think just you're up against someone who's very explosive and very direct we saw it happen in the first half we'll get onto that but um I, I don't want to you know, continue this journey towards a, a James Milner just <laughs> like hate speech or, or whatever you want to call it. But um, it just seemed like a complete mismatch on paper and it unfolded in real life as well. So um, you could sort of see it coming. Um, I don't begrudge the the rotation at all. It's just I think Eagle would have been better at that place. And, and you saw that in the last 30. I, I was surprised as you were, Robin, in that I felt like you're playing away to Arsenal after a European game and you've got no metal in the middle of the pitch. Like mm. Gross and Gilmore, as we know, and we'll talk, I know we're going to talk about Gilmore in, in much more detail, my favourite subject at the moment, based on this game on Thursday. But you know what he does? And when you're facing that Arsenal team away from home, you want someone that's a bit better, a bit stronger, can really break up the play, uh, break up the play there. And we certainly miss that. But let's face it, the game was fundamentally a bit of a write-off in and of itself lack of energy didn't really come out the blocks at all weathered a storm at the start uh couldn't get out as much as we tried it felt like uh, Matoma and Indingra basically could have just sat the bench uh for most of the game and it wouldn't have made any difference Ferguson was being shadowed by about four Arsenal defenders uh and and outside of that it was torrid for us. They just passed the ball out to Saka and and, and Martinelli and, and the rest is history. The fact that we ended up sort of conceding via a corner was, uh, you know, it's Brighton. We might as well do it that way. Uh, and outside of a gross opportunity towards the end where we could have snatched something from this game, we didn't deserve anything from this, did we? No, we didn't. Um, and, you know, I think the fact that it wasn't 5-0 is almost solely down to Lewis Dunk at various points in the game. Yeah. Just having an absolutely monstrous game. Slightly frustrating that he saves a really good game for one where it's kind of in vain. I'd rather he kept that in the locker for... Sort of a Neymar move, that is. That's, yeah, it he's is. He's made a career out of that. Um, 
but you know, I thought Bart made a couple of good saves. Um, he was obviously slightly undone, you know, slightly undone by Van Hecker just giving a glorious assist to, <laughs> to Gabriel Jesus. Um, but it seems it just seems fairly fundamental that you just wouldn't leave an opposition striker unmarked at the far post and for a corner. Like that just seems, you know, there's different, you know, you can argue about how you defend a corner, whether you go man to man or whether you go zonal. But I think any of those methods wouldn't involve leaving a free striker at the far post. Um, so that's obviously disappointing. But, you know, if they hadn't scored from that, I don't think it's a necessarily a game changing moment. It's just nice to remind ourselves that we're still shit at defending corners. It's just like a, it's a sort of comfort blanket we can hold on to, isn't it? It's just it's perpetual, isn't it? It's just it's nice, it's constant. But yeah, at least at least we've got some consistency there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it was it could have been four or five. It wasn't wasn't exactly the most fun of watching, was it? No, um, so I just it, move on. Yeah, yeah. Do, do I dare bring up the the keeper rotation piece again? Given that the it was a communication error between Verbruggen and, and Van Hecker. Uh, two people yeah, I mean, talked about weird. they should have a good link. With yeah, one another, weird, isn't it? That's that's really odd. But I, I, I'm I I'm worried a little bit, and hopefully this just gets worked on. He's young, obviously. For Bruggen's command of his area when it comes to set pieces is weak. Um, mm. Now, as we saw from this game as well, on the positive side, shot stopping is fantastic. There was a who was it that tried to ping it in the top corner? Um, and oh. it was Havertz, or it was someone. Yeah. Odegaard. It was Odegaard. Odegaard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He cut in and and pinged it in a corner and and. Verbruggen was straight to it. Uh, but command for an area, when he's got a defender pushed up on him in a set piece, he doesn't seem to get out properly and really maintain they control. Blocked him. I think they did was, block was him. It, was it Saliba? Saliba, but that happens in every Premier League game. Like, that's just standard nowadays. Just needs someone else. I'm surprised someone else, if it's not Verbruggen, someone else needs to be in there shoving him out. That's the what way. you need Igor in for. It should have come on earlier, get heavy in. Yeah, just to basically bounce him out. Yeah. Um, but it's interesting that the I had quite a long chat with someone in the ground on Thursday about the whole Steele versus Verbruggen conundrum. And what everyone agreed on a couple of things. One, that if you combine the two together, you'd have an unbelievable goalkeeper. Like, <laughs> they've both just got attributes that you'd want in the other one. The other point is that it's often... He seems to put Verbruggen in for games where we're going to be under pressure and we're going to be on the end of more shots because I guess yeah. he sees him as a better shot stopper and he puts steel in for his distribution in games where we're going to be on the front foot and we need to keep so I think I can totally understand as frustrating as it is I can I can understand Deserby's strategy behind it he, he would probably rather obviously have a goalkeeper that could do both scenarios um, but you know it is what it is but we're going to get there probably in a year or two. But for now, yeah. it's 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 all right, isn't it, Craig? One of those. Yeah, yeah. I was about to say he's he's got it right, and and you can yeah, no, see, he and he's he's what twenty one years old, right? That's ridiculous. So you know he's got a couple of years, and and um, just with with the nurturing and learning of Jason Steele and vice versa, right? Like you you said, you're spot on. Like they all have what well, they both have attributes that the other probably desires, right? So you give them a year or two to work together, and you've got an outstanding goalkeeper and an amazing backup one. It's just so, a shame that we tend to put Bart in games where he's just going to get an absolute hiding. But, but, <laughs> yeah, but we started the season like that, didn't we? Like every time he was put in against like superior opposition, you just felt but poor the, guy. And also, the, but the pressure's off for him, right? It's yeah, like yeah. You, you are you are going to get peppered here. So like, just play how you want to play. Jason still is used to it, right? Like knocking it around the back and stuff like that. Like he's a little bit more assured on the ball. But for for Bruggen, it's like okay, you're, you're going to get peppered. You're just going to do your best here, right? There's no there's no judgment here, um, and and just letting him adapt in that way is probably for the best. So he'll get there, like you said. Oh, he's yeah, he's yeah. going to be he's going to be 23, 24, and he's going to hit it, and he's just going to become it. And yeah, he's the number one for Netherlands for a reason. He's going to be our number one for a reason. There's a reason why everyone wanted him. So we'll just see it. You just have to give him time. Yeah. Um. Let's sack the rest of this off. I don't want to talk about. I don't want to remember this game. I don't, nothing came of it that was particularly redeeming Just or thoughtful. Pascal Gross almost scoring the most undeserved equaliser of all time. Yeah, Just yeah. wouldn't have been fair. I mean, I like would have actually felt bad. 
for Arsenal had that gone. <laughs> oh, I would have laughed incredibly hard. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it, it's, it just it's showed, unusual it, from him as well. Like, yeah, sort yeah. of chances that he normally puts away without really even either thinking about it or looking at the goal. I was, um, yeah, I was going to say that. Like, you, you want anyone on the end of that, and it is yeah. probably Pascal Gross. So that tells you it really wasn't our day. No, yeah, uh, twenty-six shots for Arsenal. Um, we had one shot on target. <laughs> so um, a miracle that we somehow had fifty percent possession. We were talking before we went live about this. Felt like we had five percent possession in that game. Yeah. Um, dude. Let's add one more thing on this because we have to talk about it and then we're going to move on to all the positives because there have been a massive amount of positives over the last few days. Um, we saw uh, Voltman go off, uh, tried to come back on after an injury, taking a knock and then pulled up and Hinshelwood comes on. We now, I mean, do we have a fullback that can play football? No. Yeah. Yeah. So that's questionable, is, isn't it? it it is, I would say, I said to you off that the only good thing about it is that it will now take a certifiably insane person in the club to not buy a fullback in January or at least loan a fullback in January. Like, you will just look legitimately insane if we get to the end of the like window. Early hours on the first type. Yeah, like, just like needs it, to be. Done. It has to be. Like a football manager one where it's already locked in <laughs> when the window opens. Um, but no, it's, it's obviously, it's, you know, it's, it's sad for Veltman who's obviously had a you know, a couple of difficult weeks off the pitch, it seems, to um, to come back in a game where you kind of just want to take, you want to almost take your medicine without any, you know, any unintended consequences of it. And it just seemed like one of those innocuous ones where he's obviously tried to win the ball and his knees just either locked or, you know, it just looks like a, it looks like a very painful one. So inevitably, it, he'll be out for about three years. So Yeah, no, that's okay. it. Career ender. Um, he'll probably be fine. But uh, let's move on to the positives. I'm sick of this. Sick of this game. Uh, we did get one today in that Danny Welbeck came on for the yep. last 10 or so minutes. Thank God. like Just another body. Uh, but Danny Welbeck's experience, his maturity in these games, his quality when he's involved, gives us another bit of an option. I, I don't mean to be mean to the guy, but... I'm glad that we now have Welbeck to come in to play in those front positions instead of having to rely on Buenonote, who still still isn't showing really what we need from him for the most part, um, which is wonderful. Second big positive this week outside of outside of the game on Thursday, Van Hecker signed a contract. I, I, this came out of the blue for me. Did anyone else see this coming? Uh, it was. A, I had been thinking about it because he signed a really weird extension in the summer. Um, where it wasn't really disclosed how long he'd signed. Some people said a year, some people said two years. Um, and obviously, you know, he has just come on leaps and bounds. So I think it's one of those that it's very nice. I didn't necessarily think, I thought it would be one that would be done in that standard March, April, you know, latter end of the season style slew of renews. But, you know, very good. Um, he's, you know, he is going to be the, he is the natural successor to Dunk, isn't he? Well, he's, and he's been excellent. It. Excellent. He has. He's been amazing. I mean, he, you can see that he's obviously learning off Dunk because today he put in a textbook Lewis Dunk throw your body in the way block that was all, you know, was just exactly what Dunk does. So he is, you know. I did say before to the, before Dunk's performance today that I thought Van Hecker had been, you know, our best centre-half of the season. Um, I still probably think on balance he has, even considering Dunk's performance today. So, yeah, to get whatever, three and a half more years, is uh is fantastic. Um, it's, it's weird, isn't it? How good he is. I or just I think we always say this. I'll make it quick, but yeah, he, he's only just signed an extension. He's quite clearly become a, a main focal point in that defense as well. Um, you just imagine saying that eight nine months ago at this point, right? It's just it's it's funny how football works. I think we were all pretty we were all pretty doubtful about him even in pre season. Remember doing. I was yeah. about to send him on loan to Genoa. You could head off with Ostergaard for a bit. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I suppose that shows you. I don't know whether they did it on purpose in terms of they're obviously right. We don't want to let him go in the summer, but also we're not quite sure whether we want to commit to a long term deal. So they obviously gave him something in between to go, okay, ball's in your court now, mate. What are you going to do? And he's obviously come out and gone, well, I'm going to turn into one of the best young defenders in Europe. Thanks very much. So, yeah, it works out for all parties, doesn't it? It does. Um, talking of working out for all parties and a party in and of itself, uh, let's move on to the main event here on Thursday. Uh, and, and maybe we'll just set the scene, even though it doesn't need to be set. 
we we go into this game. There's a lot on the line. We're a point behind Marseille. Correct me if I'm wrong here. I'm trying to use my memory, which is yeah. always questionable. We need a win to go through top of this group. Anything else, and it's Marseille. Um, there's a little bit of comfort knowing that you've qualified regardless, but coming first in the group in the Europa League, for those that don't know, haven't remembered, is a big, big thing because you get to get out of an additional game and you're going through straight to that round of 16. Um because Marseille have got to play... Do we know who they're playing yet? No, the draw's on Monday. Draw's on Monday. We don't play a game now, again, in the Europa League for months. Till 7th of March. And that was all on the line going into Thursday night. Big, 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 big game. We know what happened against Marseille before. We know what happened at the Amex before on the opening game of the Europa League against uh, Ike Athens. This was massive. Robin, what was the atmosphere like? You were there. It was great. I'm going to add one other benefit before I go on to it, which is I believe, and someone in the comments will probably correct me if I'm wrong, we also get seeded in the draw for last 16, and it means also you get your home leg second, which is another big advantage to throw in there as well. Um, Yeah, I mean, it was the atmosphere was was exactly as you'd expect because it's very bizarre that you go into a game like this where a loss isn't the end of the world. And it's kind of a bonus, you know, if you get the win. And yet, if you flip to the end of the game, you'd have thought that it was, you know, the most important, you know, <laughs> most important game we've ever played with, you know, basically everything on the line. Um, yeah, it was it was good. You know, Marseille fans were, um, haven't been to the away game, um, you know, some of their ultras travelled over. Um, but it's standard Amex acoustics in that, to be honest, at the back of the North Stand, I couldn't really hear them. I could see that they were jumping up and down. I could see the flares, but I couldn't really um, get much of an atmosphere from them. Um, But it was one of the few occasions at the Amex, very similar to that Chelsea game when Potter came back, where everybody seemed to be up for it from the beginning. Um, And there was this thought that, okay, we're really going to go for it. I know Dunk and Deserby had both talked about the crowd needing to be really up for it. um, And kind of everybody was. And yeah, it was um, it was very very unusual to see the Amex quite like that, like a European ground, not the Amex that we're we're kind of used to. And it was, and and I know you obviously we can't fix the 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 acoustics of the stadium itself, but that atmosphere, everyone was talking about how how incredible it was just and just felt different from from yeah it's mad to see you know to see the same thing you see at marseille which is one guy you know with a megaphone not watching the game um you know to see that at the amex and you know i didn't realize so obviously they were holding up banners at the front i thought they were actually draped over something but no the general at the front with the megaphone was basically making sure these people held this banner up for effectively two and a half hours um which is (laughs) which is a pretty good a pretty good effort um from that perspective um very well policed i mean more police than i've seen in front of the other games but uh didn't see a huge amount of uh didn't see a huge amount of disorder beyond a few seats being ripped out in the away end i saw a few youtube videos with people marseille fans holding seats above their head which is just a bit it's kind of a bit weird disgraceful Um, uh but um, yeah it was it was an atmosphere where um and, you know, the standard thing, which is that it did drop off a bit when the frustration started. To, you know, it's that sta- it was looking like one of those standard games where we were playing really well. We were creating loads of chances and we were doing absolutely everything other than putting the ball in the back of the net. And, you know, nearly conceding a couple of, you know, real examples from our back catalogue. I mean, we nearly had a Burnley 2.0, didn't we? Um, where the world stopped for about two seconds, Steel had given up on it, and everyone just went, oh, for fuck's sake. This I is- asked you if you'd messed yourself in the stadium uh, when that happened. Yeah, I did. It was, very- it, was, it was right in front of you, wasn't it? When yeah, that- it was. But, I mean, yeah. I'll be honest. It was It was one of those ones where you. Ni- I was 99%. Let's describe it for those that don't remember what we're talking about here. So it was a shot from... Klaus, sort of, I think. Yeah, from Klaus, from what would have been, as I'm looking at it, the front left of the penalty area, deflects off... I'm not sure who it deflects off, potentially Van Hecker. Um, and it's so similar to that Burnley one, which it just, it loops. And you just think the way that this works is that this is going to land in the only place, like a postage stamp, top corner, 
like Steel is watching it. He's fully given up. He's just given this. This is in the lap of the gods, basically, at this point. Um, and obviously, you know, it comes crashing off the bar and everyone just thinks like you just that would have been, you know, the standard way of doing it. And then we know we nearly had a throwback to David Stockdale with a shot coming off the post in the second half, hitting mm-hmm. Jason Steele's back um, and then nearly going. And I think Van Hecker managed to kind of hack it clear. So there was that there was a lot of nervousness because it was everything in there was all of the ingredients that we're so used to which is dominating games, not quite getting what we need in attack and then conceding really frustrating, unlucky goals. So the atmosphere did did kind of um, dip a little bit and we started to look very leggy. I don't know if it came across on the TV, but from kind of 60, 65 minutes on, for about 15 or 20 minutes, um, Marseille were really on the front foot and we just looked like we poured everything. It was... It. It- it was a, it was a frustrating game, and I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm I'm gonna play the Josh roll here and, and get us back on a chronological chronological track. Um, and we'll, well, let's go back to the start before we get into the sort of tail end because we, we know how that piece ends. But um, it was a weird one. Craig, where, where were you watching it? Not not quite maybe as glamorous as the North. Well, yeah, in my my front room. So uh, yeah, but I was I was just watching it on telly. Um, Obviously, it's just like I think it's smack bang in the middle of our day as well. So you kind of have yeah. to kind of have to sneak away and maybe just keep one one eye on everything else. Um, but yeah, I think from a, a TV perspective, obviously it it felt like a big deal. They really upped it, and yeah, it, it was different, right? I think it came across on on TV and on the, sort of the highlights as well, just how important it was that the crowd got involved. Um, mm. And obviously, we we got the first hand. Um, sort of recollection as well but yeah on the on the tv it looked different too right and you've got you've got the smoke you've got the fog you've got all of this stuff it just it felt like a european game it's a it was quite exciting at the the start right you're like oh this is this is bigger than it probably should be or probably needs to be oh that's how i felt was we're already felt too it's like we're already through this feels like a little bit of a free hit but i would like to win it if we can otherwise no dramas if we don't right it was sort of one of those things where there was there was a safety net um but then as soon as it started you're like let's get into them right because it, it suddenly yeah. my my complete it just completely flipped on me and i was like okay we need to go and win this now um i had a slightly different experience from both of you in that i was in a bar in new york city watching this game and i didn't realize it's a bar i, I go to you know on occasion when i'm in new york uh and it's got it's run by an irish guy they've got a classic american things about 400 tvs in this place but um i didn't realize it's the regular home of the new york based marseille supporters group um so i go in there and there's no seats left by the time i've got to this place um there's a bunch of these tables that were empty but had like reservation stuff on them anyway i got seated on one of them and on all these tables which should should have seated about 20 30 people it says reserved marseille supporters group for the marseille brighton game i'm like if they just lobbed me because i'm in the brighton shirt if they just lobbed me in the center of some maniacal frenchman um turns out uh, a couple of people a couple of marseille fans did show up but it seems like the marseille supporters group in new york bailed on it um which for me you know it's very rare for the french to surrender before anything's really got into it <laughs> but it was uh it was it was remarkable to uh, be in a situation where that could have been uh, fairly. I was told by the guy that runs it, he's like, "Just be, just be chill." And we got a, the Marseille fans get a bit rowdy, so that was that was a weird one. Let's talk about lineups um, because this was interesting in the sense that we were playing what seemed to be, and we'll talk about formations because they it was different with the ball and without the ball in this game. It seemed to be Hinchelwood left-back, Van, Van Hecker and Dunk at centre-back, obviously stealing goal. We had Igor in there as well. Um, so it was a confusing positioning of that. You could argue Hinchelwood right-back, Igor left-back. Uh, Gross Gilmore, Adingra, Buenanote, João Pedro and Matoma. Uh, what did we think of that? And what were your expectations when you saw that? Were you thinking back three or back four when you saw that lineup? I was thinking back three purely based on trying to fit people into jigsaw puzzle pieces. But like you say, it seemed to be very fluid. Um, and Igor seemed very comfortable effectively filling in at, at left back um, when needed. 
So I thought this was the first time I feel like we've actually seen, even if it was for a brief moment in time, Igor actually be at left back. Yeah. Uh, It wasn't for the whole game, obviously, but for portions. And he was quick. It's the first time I've seen him. Like, he is, I don't know what expectations I had, but I was taken aback by how quick he was. Yeah, unit, isn't he? Yeah, he is. Like, just the the size of him as well. Like, the speed he can get up to and the size that he is. (laughs) Scary. And he just, you know, he plays. Becoming a fan favourite, isn't he? Yeah, Yeah. he plays. You know, it's the only, the, the closest comparison I can draw with it, weirdly, is kind of Dan Byrne. Which is this someone who basically plays left back as a centre back in exactly the way that you think they're going to do, which is they throw their body around like a centre half when they're playing out wide, um, and it just seems to work. Yeah, and, and and you know I feel good on Dan Byrne for moving over to you know a club where he can really go deep in a European competition. That's <laughs> been fantastic for him. So all the best to him. Um, uh, we obviously facing this Marseille side. Uh, from what I saw, at least when when the game was starting, it seemed to me that we were in a back three when we had the ball, uh, and we were building up possession. And you had Van Hecker, Igor, and and Dunk slot in there. And then then the guys on the wing backs then moved around a little bit and pushed high up. When we lost the ball and we had to defend a little bit, we moved more to that back four, and Igor slotted into that left back. So as we say, very fluid. The fact that the players can drift in and out of these different formations fairly comfortably when the lineup changes every every single game is 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 rather impressive. Uh, for the most part, outside of that, the oh shit moment with Klaus pumping the shot and it nearly going in, first half was fairly. Can we just break them down and make something happen? <clears throat> what, what was yeah, it like can, there, Robin? It was yeah, it was a bit frustrating because I was saying every I said in the group chat at the time. Every shot and every cross just wasn't hit with conviction. It seemed to dribble through to the keeper, basically. Um, and we were getting ourselves into really good positions. And then just at the last minute, just doing our normal of kind of, you know, fluffing our lines. But weirdly, I did. It was quite bizarre. I When we did actually score, which obviously we'll get onto, that was actually the only moment in the game where I thought this isn't happening. Like the rest of the game, I was actually quite confident. I was like, Marseille cannot sit this deep and just take wave after wave of attack for the entire game. I did. I just thought it's it's coming at some point, but we were just doing everything but hitting anything with conviction. Uh, it was a very bright and sort of stat line for the first half, Craig, uh, in the sense that yeah. Marseille, had, <laughs> Marseille had 0.02 XG. Uh, we had 0.5 with almost 60% possession, six shots to their one uh, and nothing to claim for it. Presumably the one was the yeah. deflection, wasn't it? Uh, I guess. The, well, the one shot, yeah, I guess. It, yes. And it didn't count as on target because it hit the woodwork, right? Yeah. 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 I, it's just, I think, there's huffing and puffing with no result. I think, like Robin said, it was a, a few shots here and there, but but nothing nothing that really to write home about. Um, so it just felt like one of those, I, for me, watching it, it was sort of like, oh, it's one of those, one of those, right? Where... You know, we're, we're going to have the majority of the ball. We're going to make the chances, but we're not actually going to score. Um, and the pressure was there, um, but Marseille sat deep and, to be fair, felt quite comfortable. So then it was more of a case of, you know, if they're just going to allow us to have these tepid shots from outside the box, then I'm sure they'll take that all day. Um, so it was more, okay, how do we tire these guys out or how do we make them make a mistake? And and the longer this goes on and the more pressure we do, surely they've got a crack at some point. Um, so that was where I saw the second half coming in was, let's just keep going and keep the barrage up until they either become knackered or they make a mistake. Um, and then it's just a oh, it's just a gambling game, isn't it, really? Though? Um. Not a lot happened, and you completely agree. Well, not a lot happened at half time in terms of switches or anything like that. Fairly unusual for us, right? I feel like Deserby does like to chip and change things around at half time, normally, <clears throat> Robin. I kind of felt like he he saw like the rest of us and thought they're doing everything but the fi- everything but the last bit. Like logic tells you that if they keep doing this, we are going to get results. So I think he probably just and you know no one really stuck out as. You know, Dingra looked a little bit off it, but he was still getting in the right positions and just, you know, still contributing. So there was no real urgency to to change it, I don't think. If we'd have been really under the pump, um, then he may have done. But, you know, again, not a huge number of natural options 
off the bench as well to go, you know, certainly from an attacking point of view, there was no real obvious to go, or maybe on another day, if, you know, it's a sort of day that if someone else is fit, maybe hooks a dingra for, you know, Ansu Fati or someone at half time if there's another option. But felt like, yeah, wasn't necessarily needing a change. But we did further into that, that second half. I think you get to the point where you say, well, something's got to give here. As we know, there was a 0% chance of this game ending 0-0 um, based on everything that's happened this year so far. Uh, so Evan Ferguson comes in on the 64th minute, a dingra goes out and then we wait another 10 minutes and we bring on really just two young, energetic, electric players uh, into the fray in James Milner and Adam Lallana, sacrificing uh, Hinshelwood and Buenanote, basically taking out the youth and bringing on the experience, which I think says a lot for Deserby's mentality around we why we have those those players. What were you thinking when we need a goal? We know that we're probably open to being countered here. You're 74 minutes into a must-win game in, in many ways, and you go, Milner and Lalana, let's let's do this thing. I understood Lalana because I knew you know that he's got that ability to kind of stitch play together, lay off one touch passes in impossible areas, and it's kind of the that's exactly that's textbook what you think Lalana's brought in to do. You know, in games where you just need to unlock that final bit of the jigsaw, you bring him on. I'll be honest, I just thought if you're going to make a switch at fullback, I just thought with Veltman on the bench, I thought that would have been the more natural switch would have been to bring him on instead of Milner but maybe he's not trained you know with having been out with the issues that he had maybe you know hasn't trained hasn't trained as much but as I said a couple of minutes ago we were starting to look really leggy so we needed something we needed an injection of something else needed we, two OAPs yeah that was it but I mean it you know we'd, we'd passed up you know a few chances you know Matoma when he burst down the left-hand side and just decided that he was going to cross it across the box probably faster and harder than anyone's ever kicked a football you know in in human history um having it was a great pass and gross as well I think from memory to kind of to crossfield pass to set him up and then we had Adingra getting the ball in exactly the same position that he scored the second goal in Amsterdam from um almost you know to the exact bit on the pitch and you know doing his best impression of a you know Leonardo Ojoa penalty um so yeah and I think when those chances kind of came and went it did seem like in the crowd and on the pitch it did seem like everyone was just losing a little bit of spark and a little bit of belief because you think the same pattern has continued you know for the first half and up into the second half and you just go we're doing everything but score. Um, so I think changes kind of just, <clears throat> we just needed the extra energy, whoever it was going to be. Um, you know, as it turned out, you know, Milner and Lalana um, both introduced a huge amount of energy. Milner even more. I mean, he was he was getting up and down that touchline. And I think that's why it's Milner, not Veltman, right? Yeah. Craig, um, you were going to say something. Well, yeah, it, no, it, it, was, it was spot on, right? Like, Milner and Alana give you that energy. They give you that energy for 20 minutes, which is exactly what you needed at that yeah. point, right? So, I and again, I don't have any particular gripe, right, with, with Lalana or, or Milner, but they cannot do 95, 100 minutes of football. No. So what you do, and the best way that you use James Milner, is you bring him on for 25, 30 minutes, and he is able to give you exactly what you need because of his energy, because of his fitness, and because of his just sheer knowledge of having 20 years in the Premier League, right? That That's unteachable right so having him available and i think that's it was the right thing right you're talking you're taking off two 18 year olds and bringing on a 34 and a 38 year old or something like that right right but it was the right move you need experience the lana ended up getting people riled up because he ended up pushing people around and stuff Got like himself that. a like, little yellow card didn't he yeah just yeah, he did get himself but, a sneak but, yellow. oh uh, surely by design right try and rile these players up let's try and get this a little bit a little bit rowdy and, and get a bit more energy in there by any means necessary. I think that was the point where the ref seemed to uh, almost mimic. Do you remember that video that came out a long time ago? That was a well, double yellow card. Brazilian referee that yeah, yeah, strutted yeah, that around the pitch and just gesticulated <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> this ref thought he was a star of the show on the 79th minute when he was just like, yeah. bam, bam, <laughs> chill out, mate. Like you haven't, he didn't even really do anything. No, uh, it was weird. He was loving it. Um, 
but yeah, it was. And I think Ferguson, um, as much as when he came on, it didn't really change the pattern of play, especially. He wasn't getting a huge amount of touches. But I think the logic of that is that you know that Ferguson has it in him to conjure a goal from absolutely nowhere. So I, I totally understood that. Um, yeah, we just needed the extra legs. And yeah, it was just drifting towards, um, you know, it was kind of drifting towards an inevitable where you go, this is either finishing nil-nil or we're going to have a standard, we're going to be hit on the counter-attack. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was, it was one or the other. There was no other. There was no other option. But that, and that brings us to the eighty-seventh minute, almost on the dot, right? Um, and this will be interesting because I want to, <laughs> I really want to get to grips with the atmosphere, knowing that Craig and I couldn't possibly be there to to feel it. Uh, but this is where you saw the value of specifically the Lalana edition, because what you got here was the ball comes to Billy Gilmore in this sort of quarterback-like position halfway into the opposition half. You've got one Marseille player that's, you know, further up the pitch than here. So they've basically got 10 behind the ball at this point. And who better to have the ball at his feet than who is arguably, especially on Thursday, the best passer in the Brighton team, one could say. The ball then goes from Gilmore to Lalana, who d- puts a delightful touch over to Pascal Gross, who then immediately, this was all one touch, immediately yeah, yeah. then then releases the ball out to, to João Pedro. And for those of you that have been watching Evan Ferguson lately and saying, you know what, is he quite as good as whatever everyone's been saying, so on and so forth, go watch a replay of this, this goal that we scored. He is two defenders from Marseille are on him, which is why João yeah. Pedro has space. Yeah. They're completely uh, gathering up on Evan Ferguson. So even if you don't feel like he's getting touches, you don't feel like he's pinging the ball in the net. There's, we scored that goal because he was two other players were marking. Yeah, ball comes to João Pedro. Uh, he basically jukes and cuts back out onto his right foot, slams the ball home. Everyone goes nuts. What was it like? I was still annoyed that they hadn't given a corner for Evan Ferguson's shot for about a minute <laughs> a minute beforehand um and most yeah and you just think in the ground you could tell everyone thought Jao Pedro when he turned the other way everyone thought he's te- you know he's he's turned the wrong way he's taken too many touches um the guy there's a guy a couple um couple of rows in front of me who actually just when he turned the other way just went oh for fuck's sake like um set it up so nicely and then yeah it's one of those ones where I didn't see it hit the back of the net you just knew it was going to, um, and just yeah, absolute bedlam. Like in terms of Amex goal celebrations, there's you know the closest two to that were either the McAllister penalty last season, but obviously that one's not as spontaneous because it's kind of you know there's a fairly good chance it's going to be a goal, uh, you know, from the penalty spot, um, or before that probably Andone's one at home to Palace, where, you know, to score from an impossible position. But yeah, I mean, genuinely one of those goal celebrations where um, you end up, you know, I ended up a good couple of rows in front of where I started at the back of the North Stand. Um, the guy next door to me, Ian, um, he his glasses were just destroyed. Um, <laughs> genuinely, like, he was just picking up two bits of metal um, and one lens that was still left. Um, Probably be hired people, by PGMOL next week. Yeah, I mean, it was just the noise as well. Like, just never heard such just an out, like just an explosion of noise, and just everywhere you looked. Because normally, when you get home goal celebrations, you get a few people going mad, and you get you get a few people kind of more politely applauding. This was genuinely the entire ground had lost its mind. Oh, it was a eighty-eight minutes of pent-up, yeah, frustration. Yeah, and especially as it's where you knew because it was so because it had been such a, a standard as we said Albion performance. You go, it's drifting towards nil nil, um, and you know it just and there's so much to unpack. You know, in in I've obviously I didn't see all of this at the time, but you know you watch the video afterwards. The, there's so much to unpack in the celebration. You know, Jao Pedro's into the crowd. You know, and the video that someone's taken of him jumping into the crowd is phenomenal. The Zerbi's in the crowd. Billy Gilmore is so knackered that all he can do is just slap. He just the floor. falls to his knees, doesn't <laughs> he? Yeah. Jason Steele is basically giving it to the Marseille Ultras at the other end. Um, and, you know, a 60 year old Albion fan in the North Stand lets off a flare 
I mean, it's just like, <laughs> it's the most, it's the most unlikely combination. And I, you know, I should say he did chuck it onto the pitch, which then obviously got him arrested. So, you know, we can't, we can't condone that. But just the, you know, just the, the sheer, like if it comes back to go, if that is a drug, you know, if that feeling in that moment was a drug and you could market it, you know, you'd be the richest man in the world because there's just nothing like that. And it say it was just bonkers. And it went on for a good, like, couple of minutes. Like, when the game restarts, I think it's like 90 minutes when it restarts. Deserby's um, lost his mind at this point as well. Yeah, Deserby's right. gone. He's in the crowd. Jao Pedro's in the crowd. Um, you know, and it's just... Everyone has just gone absolutely nuts. There's some guys sitting near us. They're like kind of 18, 19 year old kids, like four of them. Um, they have got like genuinely, it would look like they were bowling pins. Like they'd just gone. They just like spread out. Like they'd just gone absolutely everywhere. Um, and it's just that the closest, the closest ever celebration anywhere in an Albion game I've been in was probably the Ujoa uh, at Forest. Like, you know, to get the playoffs in, you know, in stoppage time. But that was the only other one where everyone has lost their mind. Um, and I was actually at breakfast the next day in my hotel and I actually was sitting with a couple of Marseille fans um, and we were chatting in general. Um, and, you know, as an aside, they had just had nothing but good things to say about the city and the club and how they've been treated and all of that good stuff. Um, but they said the only, the only time that the ultras were quiet was obviously when the goal went in and he just said it was a obviously English not his first language but it was such a brilliant way of describing it. he said even the ultras just stood and admired everyone simultaneously losing their mind and their shit you know they were just like what has happened you know like what has just happened um and you know it's that standard Albion thing that even then you just go a part of you just goes this is still finishing 1-1 you know like after all of that you know, you're conditioned to think that you go, as much as I've just enjoyed that, there is every chance, there is every chance that this goes wrong at the end. Um, but, you know, it's it's almost as if, and I said this in our chat as well, it's, it, there is a certain amount of revisionism and, and kind of um, hubris about it, but it's almost like, I can't imagine under Graham Potter, the stadium going as mental as that. It's almost like the crowd have, been injected with a little it asked him to sit down in class probably yeah but it's that kind of everyone's like deserby's kind of charisma and his personality has had kind of rubbed off on everyone and just everyone just went absolutely mad it has it absolutely has craig what was it uh, like from the chicago a million miles away yeah i i mean it's obviously not even a patch on, on what it would have been to be there like i'm sure you agree like i would have I would have paid a significant amount of money to have been there. Um, But yeah, I think Robin's right. You're preconditioned to go, this is still going to go tits up, isn't it? Or something (laughs) like that. And just be like, right, okay. Like Pedro just bouncing up and down in the crowd and then they go and just score straight away. Like I was like, that's... Yeah, whilst we're all celebrating. Yeah, that's incredibly Brighton of us to to even try and do. And Deserby felt that as well, right? Because we we did make two subs on the 90th minute to bring in some... Uh, yeah, Dalton and Belinda. I guess Pedro had just been booked, I guess, for going in the crowd, so he gets hooked off. I sort of yeah. hobbled off as well, to be fair. Yeah, like, um, claims it was an injury sub, so I think he's lost his mind. Yeah, he? but just in, in, in terms of the goal, like it's perfectly constructed. Was as the well, noise it? like so, did it sound louder than the Amex normally sounds? Because in the ground, it felt like it was decibels louder. Like I think it definitely, it definitely did for me. Um, I think it. it you touched on it as well. It was very elongated as well. Like it was yeah, sort of like, like you don't get that initial like rush of yay back to football. It was it was this very much like one and a half minutes of just this is incredible, and it just kept going and going and going. And I you know, the weird to... thing was also the bonus of sorry to interrupt. It was the bonus yeah. of like no, you didn't have to wait for a VAR check either. Yeah, like a proper yeah. old school like pre VAR. No one even gave it a thought. Um, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. It was a hell of a cutting pass as well from yeah, Gross. You know, no, they talking probably about that. checked it. Obviously, they checked it. But the fact they didn't make a, you know, they didn't make a show of going, you know, we're, we're doing a VAR check or whatever it was. And I think lost in amongst it, and obviously you described it perfectly, Adam, was lost in amongst it was how good a goal it was. Like this is not like you know this is not us shithousing a goal at the end when we really needed it. This is like the team have not lost 
I, I, I say, I think it's bringing Lana and Milner on calmed everybody down and you know they could have lost their clarity of thought they could have started to just you know throw the kitchen sink at it and the fact that we've kept calm and we've scored a really intricate really high quality goal from a player who normally when he's in the six yard box puts it into the you know onto the railway line um has put it in the top corner and you go it kind of got lost in amongst it like how good a goal it was it was a stunning stunning goal from a from a guy that is now is he still 18 or is he 19? Uh, uh, Pedro. Pedro is 22? 20, 22, I think. Yeah, I've just yeah. made up what, what age he is for some reason. <laughs> yeah. what was, Either what was way, he's now the top scorer in the Europa League. Six goals yeah. in six yeah. games. Wow. wow. What was it like in the pub? Well, it was hard for me to hear over the bloody West Ham fans. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because yeah. they wouldn't shut up. Um, and that's... I'm originally from that sort of area. So hearing irons, irons, irons over again was going to be PTSD. But uh, it was, you could still, you could still get to grips with what it was like, but compared to what it would be like being there, it's just, it doesn't, there's, there's good things about being able to watch games on TV. I feel like you could probably even say this, Robin, as good as it is in the North Stand, you probably had to have your binoculars out to see that goal go in at the end. And we could see everything perfectly. We could see the build up. It's fantastic. But, yeah, you oh, can't that, get the that atmosphere is just You're nothing. Right. It's not it's you don't get anything. You kind of miss the because of where you are, and everything seemed to happen pretty in a linear way. Like so, from the perspective that I had, all you could really see was obviously pass, 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 but you couldn't quite see the, you know, how clever it was. And all you're thinking is like, just <laughs> like please. Um, and yeah, say so it's one of those ones you just didn't quite see it hit the back of the net. But that's that's Brighton. That's the Zerbi's Brighton at our best. Oh, that perfect. one touch, intricate play where it feels like you've done nothing's happening. You're in first gear, and then suddenly, bam, 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 the balls in the, the balls in the net. And that's, I I think that's probably why Zerbi also was so so happy, just because that's I feel like that move has been practiced over and oh, over yeah. and over and over again in in, in some fashion. But I mean, Jail Pedro. Six goals, six matches. This is a guy now that um, Mohamed Salah, I don't know if you know about him. He's only scored three goals in the Europa League. Lukaku, five goals. Obama Yang, who obviously did absolutely nothing, five goals. Uh, four, obviously, four of those penalties. So he's taken the Cristiano Ronaldo route to get the goals up. But as we know, that's you don't underestimate penalties in a Brighton shirt. So, no. I mean, he's just been outstanding. But let, let's talk about players because... There are some contenders in this game of of, of outstanding performances. Um, I know who mine is because it's pretty much week in, week out. But what were your thoughts? I mean, third place is probably Eagle. Because I thought, I say, we've talked about he was so monstrous and he was just so physical down that side and he wouldn't give up. He was just pressing, 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 pressing. Um, and he was one of the few that when everyone else was beginning to lag a little bit, he just seemed to still have still have the energy in it. Um, second, Jao Pedro. I mean, even if you take the goal out of it, he just worked so damn hard, right, for the whole game. Um, and what was really interesting is obviously when he, when Ferguson came on and Jao Pedro goes out wide, almost immediately he got the ball and cut inside and was driving towards the penalty area. So even the goal aside, like he, he just works so hard. You know, even if it doesn't come off all the time, you know, he's just, his work rate is phenomenal. Um, and then, of you know, number one, streets ahead of anything else is Billy Gilmore. I mean, I am, again, this is probably quite revisionist, but I really am struggling to remember a central midfield performance in a Brighton shirt that was better than that. Does everyone want to get on the Gilmore wagon with me now? So I mean, I called him Javi about two episodes ago. No, but, is, but do you know what's interesting? It's also the first time, and I don't like that moment in the first half where he made a tackle on the edge of the box and in one motion basically sprung it into a counter attack. Was basically, I mean, that was like Caicedo. That's the first time I've ever seen, any, you know, with, not with the telescopic leg that Caicedo had, but you know, the the end result where basically you you stop a player in their tracks and suddenly the game is flipped. You know, on a on a sixpence. Um, but, you know, he has that range of passing. I know, I think Stephen in the chat said he had a 100% pass completion rate. It wasn't quite, we're doing him a little bit 
97% from like eight from like nine, nearly 90 passes, I think. But yeah, I think it was correct. something like 12, like 12 interceptions or something as well. Um, and it's also, it's not just, it's also the, the vast majority of the passes that he plays. I haven't looked at the stats for this, but they certainly looked, most of them look like progressive passes. You know, this is not just passing for passing sake. He is the one who is spreading the ball, always looking for, you know, not the obvious option. Um, and he just, you know, as I say, we talked about the goal celebration. You know, he had nothing left in the tank by that stage. You know, it was just phenomenal. And, you know, amusingly, he is, you know, he is the he is the player that Chelsea should have bought instead of Caicedo. <laughs> like, it's... <laughs> if only there was a way for them to figure that out. Craig, was it was it Gilmore for you? Have you, have you got someone? Uh, I mean, no, f- I think so. Sorry, go on. No, I was going to say, I mean, I asked you, could a bit of it's hard to, it's, a, it's crazy to imagine not saying Jao Pedro, given the circumstances and what happened. The fact that we're still all saying Billy Gilmore says everything about his performance. What have, what have you thought, Craig? Because there's been a few matches recently where people have come out and basically said, oh, you know, there's a mistake. We see Billy Gilmore make mistakes. And, and we've kind of defended that sometimes by saying, well, yeah, you see that because he's touching the ball a thousand times and you're seeing the 1% where it doesn't work out. But how good is he? How good was he on Thursday for you? Yeah, probably probably the best game of his life so far, right? And, and you know, there's, there's he's had some very good games in the past for, for other teams and for us too. Um, but yeah, it's just a pleasure to watch, I think, really. And a couple of nutmegs in there as well makes it a little bit sweeter too, right? I just was just on it for everything. And like you said, law of averages, right? If you touch the ball a hundred times and give it away once, like people focus on the one, um, especially in that sort of CDM role. Um, and all of this team makes mistakes. You can, you can go to the Arsenal game that just happened and, and Bart playing a hospital pass, right? If you are horrendous, ball. if you are in, if you are in the vicinity of that and you're trying to play in this way, the mistakes are accentuated quite a lot. Um, so it's very easy to pile on and say, right, you know, misplaced passes here and there. But that Thursday game just clicked, right? It, it just, everything was coming off for him. Everything was coming up trumps. Um, I said, just making people look silly almost. And just the way that he was able to switch defense into attack just that half second quicker meant that, you know, we can just get rid of everything and just completely nullified them It uh, just to basically nothing, right? They had, they sort of a, a lucky strike onto the bar. They did hit the post, to be fair. And I think Klaus had another opportunity at the near post. So they weren't without their chances. But it just Gilmore in, is so assured in that role. And the fact that he can get even better in that role is is wild. And um, again, another player like Van Heck that has come on leaps and bounds from last year and is a completely different player. And we are now reliant on these players. Um, and it just shows you this, I, I guess, the faith that Deserby puts in his players, but also the willingness to give people the chance and give people the yes, the opportunity to to be and and be better and, and act better. Uh, just it was such a good performance from him. Um, like I said, it, they're few and far between when everything just clicks. Um, so it was just it was wonderful. This is uh, again a, a guy that a guy not that long ago that was blamed partially for Norwich going down thought his career was fizzling out and now we're talking about on on Brighton's highest stage we've ever been on uh being I mean that the, says the more player about, of the game says more about Norwich and how shit that team was wasn't it it's not just Norwich Chelsea uh but I mean let's not forget though he's always been seen as a premium player for Scotland I mean he was and, a man in the match against England wasn't he in Europe yes he was what would have been well 2019 was it whenever it was delayed by year whenever it happened one of the years yeah. yeah, no, it's, this is, I mean, this is a guy, there's something special about this pivot, deep line playmaker role in a Brighton shirt in this system that brings out the best of a certain type of player. And Gilmore just really, really, really perfectly fits that mould. I think he's just such a fantastic replacement for, for what we've had there before. Did you see his interview at the end? I don't know if they put no. it on... On, so I only watched it when I was watching the highlights. They yeah, I would have just heard "I'm Forever Blind" bubbles anyway, so I wouldn't have heard it. Um, they brought him over to speak. You know, sort of on pitch interviews. They sort of brought him over to speak to Sidwell and um, whoever else was doing the doing the commentary. Um, and he he sort of revealed that Deserby had given him a really hard time in preseason. 
have been really on him like basically every day being like you need to be better you need to be better you need to be better and um Steve Sidwell threw him under the bus slightly because he said, oh, I knew, I know that you've said to me that you went home crying a couple of times from training. And it's sort of like, cheers. Christ. Yeah, you know, like that's probably a private conversation they had at some, you know, at some point. Um, but what Gilmore said was like, I'm this, you know, I, and Michael Owen asked him, he was like, you know, that can go one of two ways when someone's like that with you. And he said, I'm the character, I just want to prove you wrong. So Deserby's obviously, you know, he has done the, the the textbook, you know, lit a fire underneath him and smugly sat back and watched it, you know, develop into this raging inferno. Um, so, you know, it's it's standard RDZ, you know, genius, isn't it, really? Uh, I'm glad I'm glad you brought Michael Owen up because uh, I don't know if any, how many people that are listening have followed some of Michael Owen's just fantastic anecdotes that he's thrown out recently. And he's always been one for funny phrases and anecdotes because he's basically just a narcissistic idiot. But um, he even was waxing lyrical about Brighton in the end. Mm. But if, if you've got a subscription, pl please go and read the athletic article that Michael Cox wrote on December 15th, the, the, the day after the game. Uh, Brighton's ballers, so technically good, even Michael Owen appreciates them. Uh, and this is Michael Owen, who, who sort of came out the other day and said, back in the day, there were loads of great players that were absolute ballers, properly talented footballers. Now, if you can just run a bit further than everyone else and pass the ball from A to B, you can have a decent career in the Premier League. Uh, you don't even have to be that good anymore. You used to have to have real skill and attributes to be a top player. Now you have to be an athlete, which is funny because Michael Owen was basically just a pace merchant, uh, yeah, which is you know, fairly humorous. Um, and, but of course, the, the purpose of the article was all about how Brighton is the antithesis of that stupid opinion that Michael Owen has in that we, we do play in this specific way. We, we, we are proud to basically be technically gifted and not just barrage our way through games. And again, this is, this is why we're seeing what we're seeing. Please go back and do listen to, if you haven't seen it, Michael Owen's discussion about how he was basically a brave hero for throwing an apple core into a bin in his living room in front of his mum. The most hilarious thing I've ever seen, by the way. <laughs> yeah. I, Some I of the memes. I just couldn't get my head around the fact that, like, I don't know if it's still the same, but he's like, uh, up to a certain point, he'd never watched a film in his life. <laughs> he's such a humongous tip. Like, this is going back to obviously the, you know, well done, he's 12 sort of moments and things like that of, of Michael Owen yesteryear. He's just a meme machine. But yeah, go is. back and listen to the Apple Core. He uh, did say, he heroics. did finish by saying Brighton are everyone's second favorite team Not yeah unless you're a brighton fan it'd be a bit weird but yeah, yeah <laughs> um, but you know it was so this, i mean the interview was um it was fascinating you know to hear the kind of the you know the man management that's gone on um in the background but you know it was it was it was great and you know deserve he was just his interview he just had nothing left he was like you know I've, i'm drained um you know i think he just felt like exactly everybody else felt they just had sort of nothing you felt like totally wrung out um you know nothing else to nothing else to give um and you know what was quite nice was you know having experienced the same in marseille was that their fans were kept back for like nearly two hours after the final whistle um, i bet probably in nicer conditions though in the the, the yeah, gantry then, there at the amex than probably in, sort of in a pen in a, that you were in marseille in the kind of corridor that we had um but yeah, it was um, it was one of those very rare Albion occasions where, you know, you get the kind of the fairy tale, you know, you get the fairy tale ending. And we now don't, I don't have the stats in front of me because Twitter is completely down um, because, well, obviously Elon Musk fired their entire staff. But uh, we again, we don't play until. Do you have that in your memory, Robert? That what, next game, you wrote March. Craig, March is the next. Seventh of March. Okay, so we've got a big reprieve there until we have our next game. Yeah. It, on on the docket for us, obviously coming up now, is a fairly interesting game. After you know a drab, hungover performance against Arsenal that we saw today, we now go into a game on the twenty first. So at time of recording, in four days, away to Palace, uh, at a Crystal Palace side who are. Fairly abject, apart from the fact that they managed to get a point against City yesterday, which nobody actually anticipated. This is a Palace side that 
have 17 points uh, currently on the season. They are one above Everton, who have been docked 10 points, uh, three above Forest, who are just above the drop zone. They are crap. So we're probably going to lose about 3-0 to them. Any thoughts from your side on this Palace game coming up? I mean, it is every year we go, we we owe them a battering. Um, and, you know, it is... We may as well just declare it a 1-1 draw now and not bother playing it. Who are we even going to play at, at, at fullback? Hinch, I'd imagine Hinchelwood and potentially Eager on Hinchelwood or Hinchelwood and Gross. Who knows at this point? Deserby, for all anyone knows, may just come and fill in it right back. Um, I don't know. But they've also got a fair number of injuries themselves. Uh, but it will be a good game. It is, I think, good for us. It is on... Um, it is on Sky. And I will actually, on brand, I will be watching it in a Green King pub. That is not oh. actually, that is not actually designed to be a segue in, but I will actually be watching it in a Green King pub. I was not I was I compl- I was not gonna do this. I'd completely forgotten and we'd have probably been told off. That's a lovely segue because, you know, it is the season for festivities and festive football. And what's the best way to watch it? Do what Robin's doing. You go down to your local Green King Sports pub. Um Christmas is a time to catch up with friends, old and new. So get the team to your local for refreshing pints, delicious food and live action of every Christmas cracker. Did Josh write this? Every fixture from TNT, Sky and Amazon is live at Green King Sport. That means wall-to-wall action on our huge HD screens. Head to your local Green King and watch every winning goal, top bins volley and dodgy VAR decision in an atmosphere worth sharing. Also, go ahead and download the Green King Sport app and you'll receive 10% off drinks every single time there's sport on telly, which is not too bad. Um, thank you for bringing that up, Robin. Right. Josh, Daddy really would have told us off, wouldn't he? But what is funny in all of this, which I feel bad for Josh, for regular listeners, is um, he couldn't go to the game on Thursday. No. You <laughs> went, Robin, and then he yeah. went to the Arsenal game today, which is why he can't record right now. Imagine that. Oh, no. Why would you do that to yourself? What is uh, I think you had to go to his work Christmas do as well, which makes it sound even worse, doesn't it? Which is just... God, imagine just that. You awful, miss a it? monumental historic night at the Amex doing something this team is, and club has never done before to see, you know, Jennifer have a few too many shandies. Like, what a travesty. <laughs> um, we then... We, we talked about this before, but we get that nice one-week break. The players actually yeah. get to enjoy Christmas. And then we have, again, I talked about this before, the, the game that I'm most excited about probably this entire season, the, the home game to Ange Postacoglu's Spurs, which has all the characteristics of being ridiculous. Uh, a five-all draw, isn't it? You're right, exactly. But as, as is tradition... It'll be a nil-nil then. It's, precisely. It's, it's yeah, going to be we, what we we've, don't expect. We've done this. We've, we've been here. But that's that should be a fun one. But from our perspective, I don't know if you guys want to add any more, but we've sort of... we've, we've I certainly don't want to talk any more Arsenal. We've talked a lot of Marseille. No, Any other thoughts? I mean, my my one conclusion from, you know, sort of doing the business where it really matters there in Europa League is that we have a genuine chance of going far in this competition. That's my main takeaway from it. Like, yeah. there are and What have we run into um, Man United or, or Newcastle there? Oh, no, wait, that would be- never mind. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, that'd be unfortunate. Um, there are really, I mean, the teams that we fear, it's really like, it's basically Liverpool and Bayer Leverkusen are the two teams that I fear. I think Leverkusen haven't lost this season at all. Um, do you, you want to avoid the the smaller teams, right? We're we're one of the smaller teams, but you, you want to avoid someone that's going to sit back and have yeah. a, a, a back 11 right you want to get your your braggers you want to get your, your types of teams there where they're, they're going to come to play and and that's when we're better if we're going uh, to continue the trajectory of how ridiculous this year is in terms of we've seen the Albion play at the, the, the Stad Velodrome we've seen them play at the Owen Cruyff Arena to see the Albion play at the San Siro before it's knocked down you know would complete this arc of just absolute nonsense mm-hmm. in terms of yeah. you know, how Albion history is going um, but you know oh. the benefit of being seeded, you know, we'll avoid. We can't get Liverpool at this point. Interestingly, we can get Marseille again, which would be quite amusing in the last. I, I, I think I'd take that. Um, not having to go there again, because um, so I, I turned out USG last year. They got Union Berlin in the last sixteen, having both been in the same group. Um, so yeah, Marseille, we could we could revisit this all again. You've reminded uh, me of one thing. I just want to add though that. Uh, just when when we talk about 
depth. We talk about loans. We talk about players coming in because we are we're getting into that point, right? We're going to talk about January transfers very, very, very soon. What one player who is currently on the same Europa League goal tally as Mohamed Salah is a chap named Abdelasima for Rangers, who is also their overall top scorer at the club as a whole with nine goals this year above uh, James Tavernier. So, hey, I don't know whether he's going to be anything for, for this team. Let's not also forget that another player out on loan, Dennis Indav, just got listed as Bundesliga Player of the Month. Uh who knows what happens with this team? Who knows, knows what happens with any of these players? But there's stuff is happening. I mean, I've also watched, I watched for some reason, I watched West Brom against Stoke today, which was exactly how you'd imagine Good for you. it would be. But the one bright spot was Jeremy Sarmiento, who looked brilliant. So he's another one. I mean, do we have a recall clause on, on him? Who knows? It's all yeah. sorts of. I mean, what we do, we presumably, like drawing Rangers would be quite nice because presumably Seymour wouldn't be able to play. Um, I would love to draw Rangers regardless because they're tripe, but yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think, you know, it, the fact that we're still going to be in Europe in March, it, you know, if, if we kind of do this slightly, you know, sort of, um, you know, this is your life, look back at, you know, our European adventure so far, you know, when that, how many of us, when that draw was made, saw us winning the group? Because I'll be Not honest. Not just that, Robin. How many of us thought this after the first two games? Yeah, we wouldn't concede another goal as well, also. That second goal that I watched us concede after 20 minutes when Lewis Dunk made a complete hash of it. You know, that we conceded our last European goal about 110 minutes into our European campaign. So we've reeled off four clean sheets with four wins. We did everything we needed to do after a pretty yeah, horrendous, after horrendous start. So, um, you know, to yeah. win the group... You know, even regardless of the first couple of games and even when it came, you know, it's just, it's absurd to have won the group with, you know, two two proper kind of giants of, of European football. And I say, I, I'm not, it's not me really getting carried away, but I genuinely don't see that many teams to fear in it. Well, I'm going to quote you back on that when we get to yeah, yeah, the next game. Uh, when we get, yeah, this is saved. Like, this is saved up. I keep a black books on this stuff. Um, let's <laughs> let's wrap this here. I don't know when we're going to be back because this this game is a Thursday game, the twenty first Thursday night. Yeah, it's Thursday night coming. Who knows? Know the... We then get into silly season with with Christmas Eve and things like that. We'll figure out a time to record. A, a I guess. Pod pretend, here. I don't know. Well, Friday. Friday's about it, isn't it? Yeah, uh, you guys will listen. You're not going to listen on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day anyway. So we'll, we'll figure something out. Uh, yeah, if you want to hear us, idiots talk. King's speech. Like who are you gonna, you're going to be listening to us ahead of the King's speech, aren't you? You'd rather listen to a Green King's speech, I, I would imagine, <laughs> right? So there you go. See, making up, making up. They should give us a little bit extra for that, probably. All right, everyone. Thank you so much uh, for listening, uh, Robin Craig. Anything else? If not, let's say our goodbyes and uh, no. appreciate everyone. Yeah, all good. Everyone. Thanks for listening. Cheers, guys. All right. Have a good one. Enjoy Christmas if we do not speak to you before.